Welcome to Bethesda Broadcast, the podcast of Bethesda Church in Huron, South Dakota. Today, we finish our series in the book of James. We will look at the final verses of James and a message on prayer, a matter of faith. We hope this series has helped you in your walk with Christ and given you practical ideas to help you on your faith journey. We encourage you to open up your Bibles to James chapter 5 and follow along with Pastor Roy. Today we're finishing our series on the matters of real Christianity, uh, prayer, a matter of faith. While you're turning to James chapter 5, I want to put a plug in for the Ambassadors for Christ class. We are picking back up with the New Testament. We started last week. We are in the book of Romans. If you have small children and you say, I can't come because I got small children, bring them with you. Bring them with you to the class. You got to step out for a minute, step out. Uh, but we would love to have you there uh, as we go through the various books of the Bible and study them. Look at the theme and the message uh, that God has for us. Uh, so I would encourage you to consider that. Today we are picking up uh, the final verses of this letter of James, uh, beginning in chapter 5, verse 13. Follow along with me as I read. Is any one of you in trouble? He should pray. Is anyone happy? Let him sing songs of praise. Is any one of you sick? He should call the elders of the church to pray over him and anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise him up. If he has sinned, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. Elijah was a man just like us. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. My brothers, if one of you should wander from the truth, and someone should bring him back, remember this, whoever turns a sinner from the error of his way will save him from death and cover over a multitude of sins. When I read this uh, closing verses, I think about a spiritual parent. James is being a spiritual parent to his audience. I think about the Apostle Paul when he penned the words to the church in Thessalonica, and he said these words to them. He said, as apostles of Christ, we could have been a burden to you, but we were gentle among you like a mother caring for her little children. Paul was interested in being a spiritual parent to the Thessalonians to teach them God's word and God's truth. Here, James is being a spiritual parent to all of these scattered tribes who are dealing with different things in their lives. And he opens up this section with three questions and three answers. It's always nice when a teacher gives questions, but they also give the answers. I remember when I was in school, I had a, a prof, uh, not a professor, a teacher. Uh, he was teaching uh, sociology, and he put an extra credit uh, question on a quiz, and he wanted us to give the answer, but he gave us the answer because he wasn't sure if we'd get it right, and he kind of put it on the board, and he half erased it, and you could kind of see the answer. And he was like, who does your teacher, meaning him, uh, look most like? And, of course, he put up the word Burt Reynolds uh, because back then Burt Reynolds was the heartthrob and he wanted to be like Burt Reynolds. 
But anyhow, the, the idea is that the questions have come, but there's answers. And so the first question James opens with is, any one of you in trouble? The word he uses here for trouble is the idea of suffering. And it's not just suffering physically. It could be suffering emotionally and internally. Because remember, they're being oppressed by the rich people. They've been scattered. They've been left from their home. They're in a different place or in a strange place with strange people going through oppression and difficulty, barely making ends meet, and going through emotional turmoil. So let me ask you a question. Are you going through emotional turmoil today? Inner distress is what he's talking about. Have you been through some kind of abuse? I know these guys that shared their testimonies have. But emotional abuse, verbal abuse, where you're told you'll never amount to anything, you're no good, you've been called names, you've been verbally abused. Or maybe you've been through emotional abuse where somebody has manipulated you and made you feel guilty when you did nothing wrong. Inner distress. James is saying, is any one of you in trouble? Are you in deep weeds? Is your marriage on the brink of disaster? Are your friendships suffering? You feel lonely. I'm sure they did. So James is saying, are you in trouble? And he knew they were, and that's why he brought it up. They were facing difficulty, hardship. Well, here's what he says. Here's the answer. Handle pain with prayer. Notice what he says here. Is any one of you in trouble? He should pray. He doesn't go into this whole big, long sermon. He just says, pray. <laughs> and you know what happens when people are in pain? They get really, really honest. <laughs> and I don't know about you, but when I've been in pain in my life, the prayers actually aren't necessarily extremely long. They're kind of short. God, I need you. God, where are you? God, I need your mercy. God, I need your grace. God, I don't know if I can make it another day. God, why am I going through this hard time? God, I don't like this. God, I'm frustrated. Have you ever had that fist-pounding frustration? A back-breaking burden? And he's saying, handle pain with prayer. But what do many people do with their pain? They don't take it to God. They go to somebody else and complain. Or they go to a bottle or a drug like some of these guys have shared. They run to everywhere except God, and then they wonder why their problem multiplies. <laughs> He's saying, handle your pain with prayer. Would you be willing to come before God and say, God? And you know what? It is not. The prayer is not a quick fix. It's not, I've prayed this prayer. God, have you shown up yet? No. It could be a marathon that God will take us through, but we handle pain with prayer. We handle hurts with prayer. We handle mistreatment with prayer. Life hurts from poor choices, whether it's mine or somebody else's. Life hurts. He's saying we can handle pain with prayer. Satan hinders prayer 
But listen to this, but prayer hinders Satan. Did you hear me? Satan hinders prayer, but prayer hinders Satan. And so we need to come before him. That's why we have set aside on our calendar, our church calendar, October 29th and 30th, because we want to engage in a deeper level of prayer at Bethesda Church. Prayer is the thing that moves the hand of God in our church. And if prayer, if we're not praying, God's hand cannot move. <laughs> and I don't know if, if we can't come together to pray a few days before a major election in our church, I don't know what will move us. If we, if we are so busy that we can't set aside some time to say, God, we are serious about interceding with you. Before a major election, I don't know if anything else will move us because this is a major, major election that will have impact for years on our country. And that's why I've elected in the next series, we're going to be talking about our responsibility civically and as a people. He says in Psalm 30, verse 2 and 3, O Lord my God, I called to you for help, and you healed me. O Lord, you brought me up from the grave. You spared me from going down to the pit. That's what God can do when we pray when we're in deep weeds. <laughs> he can pull us out of the pit. He says in Psalm 50, verse 15, And call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you, and you will honor me. Pray for grace. Pray for mercy. Pray for God's power to be unleashed in your life and in my life. In all situations. Then he goes on to the second question. Is anyone happy? Cheerful. Everything's positive. Everything's looking good. Then what are we supposed to do? Well, does he say, is anyone happy? Let him sing songs of praise. The answer is private and public praise. That's what we should give. Here he's talking about the idea of with or even without instruments. But oftentimes this kind of praise actually included instruments in biblical times. In Psalm 33, 2 and 3, he says, praise the Lord with the harp. Make music to him on the ten-string lyre. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully and shout for joy. Psalm 98, shout for joy to the Lord all the earth. Burst into jubilant song with music. Make music to the Lord with the harp, with the harp, and with the sound of singing. We need to recognize God's worthiness to be worshipped when things are going well, too. Don't forget God in the midst of things going well. We can forget him. He's worthy of our worship. He is not just our errand boy <laughs> to fulfill our every little request. He's a God who is worthy to be worshipped. And we need to worship him. And he goes on to the third question, is any one of you sick? Commentators disagree on what this means. A lot of people say, well, he's talking about people who are physically sick. Well, that could be. Um, the word used here in the Gospels, the same word, talks about physical maladies. But why commentators wrestle with it is because in Acts, in the epistles, it talks, uses this word in the idea of a weak faith or a weak conscience. And so you have that idea. So here's my thought. Why couldn't it be both? <laughs> 
Because when people don't feel good, it can impact their faith. It can impact their conscience, their ability to think clearly about God when you're going through a physical malady. And so I think it could be one or both, or one or the other or both. But they're struggling. So they're weak either in body and their faith. And it carries the idea of the next word where he says, is anyone sick? He should call the elders of the church to pray over him and anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. It could be that he's restoring his faith. Or it could mean he is being healed physically or both. Uh, but it's the idea of reaching out and calling to the leadership of the church. Don't be too proud to ask for the leadership to come and pray over that kind of, whether, whether it's a weak faith or a weak body or both. If you're struggling with something, you say, you know what, I'm really wrestling with this theological idea or this truth in Scripture, would you pray? Um, even after a service, that's why we're here. I always say, do you have a need? Is there something we can pray for you about? Let's get together and pray. To me, it's a privilege as a leader to be able to pray for people in the church. It is an absolute privilege to be able to do that. We pray for spiritual refreshment and spiritual restoration and physical healing that the person will be encouraged in their walk with Christ. Then he goes on to say that we need to practice accountability and pray for one another. Notice he says in verse 16, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you will be healed. It seems like there is a connection between confession and healing. Now it is true if we engage in sinful practice it can impact us physically, psychologically, spiritually in every way so when we confess our sin what are we supposed to do are we supposed to just stand up and confess to everybody no but I think if you have done something against someone else in the body of Christ or you have hurt the body of Christ to confess that sin to that person or that group of people if you've been wrong to confess that that's what he's saying that the fellowship is not impacted negatively because of my sinfulness so confess these sins to each other and pray for each other. Admit when you've done wrong. And it can impact your health. And pray for one another. Ask God to strengthen one another. Oh, I got ahead of myself there. And then in verse 16, at the very end, he says, The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. And then he gives the example of Elijah. He says Elijah was a man just like us. Man, that's encouraging. Because <laughs> sometimes do you feel like nobody else wrestles with this? Nobody else struggles with this. Nobody else has that idea. Believe me, if you have that idea, other people do too. If you struggle with that, other people do too. Your situation is not unique. Elijah was a man just like us. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. Now, we can skip over that passage and totally miss why Elijah is brought up as an example of 
faithful, earnest, godly prayer if we don't know the history. We could think, well, he prayed that it wouldn't rain for three and a half years, so he must have got ticked off at some farmers <laughs> or some cattle people. No. That's not why he prayed. Was it a selfish prayer that he was just praying, hey, God, cut off the rain? No. No, you know why he prayed that it wouldn't rain for three and a half years? Is because the Israelites were beginning to trust Baal. They were beginning to put their confidence and faith and trust in Baal. And the reason they were trusting Baal is because Baal was the storm god. He was the god of the weather. He was a god who controlled the rain. And so you know what Elijah did? He went to Ahab, who was the king. And he told him it wasn't going to rain. Can you imagine going to the president and telling him something he doesn't want to hear? And remember Ahab's wife is Jezebel? She really loved prophets, didn't she? Yeah, she loved him under the sword. So he took great risk in going before King Ahab and telling him, hey, you know what? It's not going to rain. If we go back to 1 Kings chapter 17, I would encourage you just to flip your Bible there for a moment because this is powerful. In 1 Kings 17, Elijah the Tishbite from Tishbe in Gilead said to Ahab, as the Lord, the God of Israel lives, whom I serve. Notice his testimony. He is not praying a selfish prayer. He has been motivated by the Lord to pray this kind of prayer. As the Lord God of Israel lives. Did I mention Elijah's name, what it stands for? His name means Yahweh is my God. Not Baal, Yahweh, God. Yahweh is his God. As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. Wow. A prophet of God who was motivated by the Spirit of God to bring this prophetic word to King Ahab to say, you know what? You are trusting in Baal, and you are impacting the Israelites to trust in Baal, but I'm going to show you that God is God, and he is more powerful than Baal. He is the one who controls the weather. He is the one who controls the rain and the dew. It is God of very God. And I think that's important. When we see the example that he sets, and the word of the Lord came to Elijah to leave here, Turn eastward and hide in the Kareth Ravine, east of the Jordan. You'll drink from the brook, and notice, I have ordered the ravens to feed you there. Why? Because there's going to be a famine in the land, and you won't be able to get food. So I am sending an unclean animal to feed you and care for you. You have faithfully obeyed me, and boy, do you think that grew his faith? Took him back in the middle of nowhere and feeds him with these ravens and the brook, well, then guess what happens? The brook dries up from the famine. There's no rain. There's nothing to replenish the brook. The brook dries up. God sends him to a widow. Verse 7, sometime later the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. Then the word of the Lord came to him and told him to go to Zarephath. 
of Sidon. Stay there. I've commanded a widow in that place to supply you with food. Widows, <laughs> they're poor. This woman was so poor, she's out gathering sticks. She doesn't have food. She's down to her last meal to feed her and her son before they die. God, how's that going to work? Well, I've commanded the widow to feed you. <laughs> I mean, she's going to feed you. And you just tell her that the oil and the flour is not going to run dry. And so he obeys the Lord and honors the Lord. And God provides. The son eventually dies, and Elijah lays his body over that and prayed three times for God to heal him. And God raised that son from the dead. God of God. And then he goes to face the prophets of Baal. You can see it building up. And he faces those prophets of Baal, and he prays down fire from heaven. His faith had to be absolutely full of seeing the power of God supply, supply, supply in his life. So he comes back and he says, Elijah was a man like us. But he prayed earnestly that it would not rain. Why? For the honor of God. So here's the question. What is the motivation for my praying? Let me ask you this. What is the biggest prayer request you've ever prayed in your life? The biggest one. And was it for the honor and glory of God? I can tell you that hits me right here. Because usually it's about me. Some selfish little puny request. God. <laughs> and, but the honor of God. That's why I think Elijah is held up in James's mind and he wants to hold it up to the Israelites and say, you know what? Here was someone who was concerned about the honor of God. You may be going through a hard time, but are you concerned about the honor and glory of God in what you're going through? Again, he prayed, and the heavens gave rain and the earth produced its crops. And remember, if you go back and read the account... He goes back and prays. After he finishes with the, the, the false prophets of Baal, and they are all executed, he goes over and he, he sits down and he prays. He puts his hand, head down between his legs and he starts praying. He sends a guy out to go say, hey, go look out there and, and see if there's a storm cloud yet. No, he comes back. No, go again. Sends him out seven times. And he comes back and, oh, yeah, there, there's, there's a cloud out there now. It's about the size of a man's hand. And he told Ahab, you better get out of here, it's going to rain. <laughs> wow. I mean, that's incredible prayer. And sometimes I think about God's blessed us with his property. He's given us stuff in our lives, and we, just, and we, could, we could sit there on it, and, and we're waiting on the Lord. But I wonder if our prayer request should be a little bit greater and a little bit bigger. Say, God, what do you want? How do you want to be honored and glorified through Bethesda Church? And maybe God would just dump something on us that would absolutely overwhelm us if we trusted him. And if our motivation for the biggest prayer request we prayed was for the honor and glory of God. I'm challenged to pray. I need to pray more for the honor and glory of God. Because that's usually not the highest thing on my list. I don't know about you. 
but praying according to God's will. And, a couple, and then we point out the danger signs to fellow believers. Notice he says in 19, my brothers. I mean, these are people who have fellowship, who know one another. And there's a caring community that's important in the church. My brothers, if one of you should wander from the truth, you're deceived and you're taken away from the path of righteousness. He's saying, and someone should bring him back, that you are concerned enough to confront them with the truth and speak the truth in love and say, you know what? I see you headed for a cliff. Be careful. As a parent, my responsibility as a parent, if I see my child heading toward a cliff, to say, you better be careful. If I see them hanging out with the wrong kind of kids, I'll say, you know what, you better watch it. I don't see that boy with a heart for God. I don't see that kid pursuing the Lord. I see him disrespectful. I see him using language. I'm going to point those things out. And not just point them out, but I need to pray for that kid as well. That God would turn them around. I think it's important that we do that. It's one thing to point out a cliff. It's another thing to say, you know what? I'm going to pray for you about that. As a parent, we need to do that. As a fellow believer, we need to do that. And I can tell you that's one of the hardest things to do is to be able to point out something in someone's life. But if we are speaking the truth in love, it's going to be received in the right way in most cases. Now, will somebody get mad? Well, I've had that a time or two. But you know what? That's not my responsibility. My responsibility is to share what God would have me share. And when we do that, notice he says, remember this, whoever turns a sinner from the error of his way will save him from death and cover over a multitude of sins. I mean, you could prevent them a life of hurt by sharing with them the truth. Because the Bible says we know the truth and the truth will set us free. Let's stand for a word of prayer. I would just like you to bow your heads and close your eyes for a moment. I don't know what you are wrestling with in your life, but I know you're not here by accident. I know you're here by divine appointment. And yes, I know you chose to be here, but God has you here as well. And as a spiritual parent of this church, my concern is your spiritual well-being. Are you in trouble? Are you sick? Are you weak? Whether in body or a weak faith. God wants to speak to you. He wants to touch you. Do you need prayer by the leadership of the church? Give us that opportunity to pray with you. Is there something in your life that is keeping you from what God wants you to do and you are straying off the path? You can feel it in your heart. You can feel it in your spirit. Maybe you need to be encouraged and allow somebody to come alongside of you and shoulder that with you. The Christian life was never meant to be lived in isolation. That's a lie of the enemy. We all 
have struggles. We all have difficulties. And God is able to help us. I'm thankful for the elders who have prayed with me and for me. It's important that we do that, that we grow in fellowship with one another. If you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, you heard Sam's testimony, how God took his brokenness and brought healing through the cross of Jesus Christ. He died on the cross for our sin. Because we are born separated from God. We are born with an eternal destiny that keeps us from God. But God in his mercy and grace came and sent his son to die on the cross for our sin. That we could be forgiven and cleansed. And not just be saved, but notice the other part of Sam's testimony was to invest in the lives of other people. Some of you have gifts and abilities that you are not yet using. And it's like a withered hand. God wants to heal that and use that. And there's something that Satan is using in your life to hold you and to keep you captive from being released to use the gift God has given you. Let today be the day of release. Saying, God, I'm signing up on the dotted line. God, I want to be used in my life that my life counts. There are some people who are counting on you to invest in them because of their struggle, and you can be a help to them more than I can because God has called you to do it. <laughs> he wants you to do it. Would you be willing for his honor and glory? If you don't know the Lord, we'd be glad to pray with you. If you have another spiritual need, please seek us out so we can pray with you. Let's pray. We hope you've enjoyed today's message. If you would like to know more about Bethesda Church, you can check us out on the web by going to our website, which is BethesdaMB.org. That's Bethesda. M as in Mary, B as in boy, dot org. Or check us out on Facebook by searching for Bethesda Church of Huron. Have a blessed day.